Welcome to this week's message from Rabbi Kevin Solomon, Senior Rabbi of Congregation Beth Hillel in Roswell, Georgia. Beth Hillel is one of the largest Messianic Jewish synagogues in the world and provides a place where Jewish people can find the Messiah, Yeshua, Jesus in Hebrew, and retain their Jewishness. It's also where Gentiles worship and embrace the roots of the faith in drawing closer to God. Click the link in the description to support this ministry or to view our YouTube channel. Let's join Rabbi Kevin now as he shares this word from Scripture. Some time ago, a relative of mine got a routine blood test, and the results came back, and the results revealed a very serious, life-altering condition. It was a rough test result, to be honest with you. And it came as a real surprise to us, this blood test, and we were all devastated. However, the person with the results was saddened, but took it in stride and trusted in the Lord to see them through the condition. Well, after some time, the doctor ordered a follow-up blood test, which revealed that the first one was actually a lab error. Thank God. Absolutely true story. And for sure, it was a relief for everyone, no doubt about that. But you see, in those intervening days, in those intervening days, Character was revealed. Character was revealed. In the time before the error would be discovered, error, miracle, whatever you want to call it, you know, listen, I'll just give credit to God straight up. But in the time before the second, we'll just call it the second blood test, in between, in between the time of the first and the second blood test, that's the question. That's the moment, if you will. Would the person lash out and blame God? Or would they trust in God to see them through it? Hello. That's where the, the rabbi used to say, that's where the tire hits the road. That's where the action is. <laughs> that's where we really see. Genesis chapter 22, please, Bereshit. Chapter 22 on Rosh Hashanah. It is traditional to seek inspiration from the story of the Akita, the binding of Isaac. You all know this. Typically, one of my two Rosh Hashanah messages will have this as part of the story. This year, it's, it's today's uh, message. And... First of all, I got to say, if you read the story of the binding of Isaac in Genesis chapter 22, it's such a powerful story. And the parallels to the story of Yeshua are so obvious 
that it takes great intentionality not to see it. You have to really, you have to really work hard not to see the parallels between the story of the Akita, the binding of Isaac, with the story of Messiah Yeshua. Parallel after parallel after parallel after parallel, no question. But there's a part of the story that in all my messages on Rosh Hashanah or what have you that I've given on the Akita, I've never examined this in the past. And I'd like for us to look at it today. It's something interesting that, very honestly, I had not seen before. In this slide, I had not contemplated, and obviously, I've looked at Genesis 22 a lot over the years as I'm doing a message about it uh, each year. But, but this year is something I've never seen before, and I want to share it with you today. Let's take a look at Genesis chapter 22, starting in verse 1. Now it was after these things that God tested Abraham, Abraham, Avinu, Abraham, our father. He said to him, Abraham, Hineni, he said, here am I. Abraham responded. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains about which I will tell you. Well, you have to pause there for a moment. It's inevitable that you have to pause and say, offer Isaac as a burnt offering? What? What? Let's just, I, I know we're not quite at Thanksgiving. Let's talk some turkey, okay? <laughs> it's a joke I can make on Rosh Hashanah and not on Yom Kippur. You understand. On Yom Kippur, it's like, man, anytime I, I, you know, I tend to bring up food in my messages at some point, it may be a little bit obvious why. Uh, but, uh, but on Yom Kippur, I have to like resist the temptation to use food as an example. Every once in a while it slips out and I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't, you know, okay, but Rosh Hashanah, I'm safe. All right. Let's talk to her. It doesn't make any sense. It just doesn't make any sense. Offer Isaac as a sacrifice. It doesn't make any sense on so many levels. Obviously Judaism is not a, a religion of of, of human sacrifice anyway. So what, what, what is this in the first place? And, and then even more so, Isaac was the child of promise. The child that God had told Abraham would be his heir, and through Isaac, the whole world would be blessed. Through Isaac, the covenant would be passed. It doesn't make any sense. Aside from the fact of, you know, listen, sometimes something cannot make sense to you that God might say, but it's like, okay, it's not that big a deal. It doesn't make sense, but okay, you know, go, go, go talk to this person, go drive to this place. Okay, I mean, that might not make any sense, but no, but this, it wasn't just that this didn't make any sense. It was horrific. It was antithetical to everything that that God had seemingly already told Abraham. It was antithetical to Abraham's core. This was his son, as God himself said, whom he loved. This wasn't a bad kid. Not that that would have made any difference. <laughs> but there was no inclination within Abraham at all of anything of the sort. This was the son he waited for. This was the son born to him in their old age, he and Sarah. 
the one through whom God said the whole world's going to be blessed through this kid. What? See, we're here thousands of years later, but this, this portion is in the scriptures to make us think. And we have to almost imagine ourselves in that time and, and, and to understand this is a human being, Abraham. This doesn't make any sense. But it was so clearly Abraham knew God's voice. He knew God's voice. It was so clearly a message from God. What would he do? What would he do? Verse 3. So Abraham got up early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son. He split wood for the burnt offering and got up and went to the place about which God had told him. I was really thinking about this and just going over in my head the story over and over again. And it struck me that you, you, you see it all the time in the movies. What am, what am I talking about in the movies? I'm talking about you're watching the movie and in the heat of the moment, somebody makes a hard sacrificial decision that has some level of heroism to it. Somebody makes a hard, difficult decision in the heat of the moment. I have been and always shall be your friend. <laughs> I knew the Wiedemars would get that right away. God bless you. The rest of you really need to watch Star Trek, okay? I'm just saying. Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, Spock, come on, man. Spock saves the day. Thank you, Wiedermeyers. I love you very much. <laughs> Star Spock saves the day in Star Trek II at the cost of his life. It's a familiar refrain. Jack gives himself a rose in Titanic. Anakin kills the emperor to save Luke sacrificing himself. So many movies are replete with stories like this. Movie after movie after movie after movie, you see a constant theme about this, this heat of the moment decision where somebody's got a split second and they got to make a decision and they do something heroic in a, self, in, in a sacrificial way. But all of these examples are basically spur-of-the-moment decisions. This is not an unimportant note. And it really contrasts with the story of the binding of Isaac. Because it's different with Abraham and Isaac. And I want for you to think about it today because it has incredible implications for all of us. Why? It is not a split-second decision. And then the pain is over. This was not what it was, my friends. Nope. God told him he slept on it. Abraham slept on it. He went to bed and, and it says, got up early the next morning. What, what must that night have, of sleep have been like? I wonder. I thought about that night of sleep. You know, can you imagine when you lay down? And think about what you're going to have to do tomorrow morning. I, I, I think, you know, it doesn't say, did he even sleep? 
It's one thing to make a split-second decision. You had to got to think about it. You don't have to contemplate it. You can't argue yourself out of it. It's a momentary, heroic decision, but this was not the case with Abraham. But it says that early the next morning, he, this is so interesting. I had never really picked up on this before, Bruce. Early the next morning, he didn't just depart. No, catch this very small detail. It says in the text, he split wood for the burnt offering. That's an interesting detail to add. Everything's in the Bible for a reason, y'all. Think about this small detail for a minute. Abraham was not Paul Bunyan. Abraham was well over 100 years old. Now, yes, people lived longer back then. I know it. But he was still over 100. Come on. Chopping wood? I want you to think about that. It says that he chopped the wood, split wood for the altar, for the sacrifice that would be to come. I want you to imagine for just a minute the pain. I want you to think about the pain. Each axe chop caused to Abraham's heart. With each swing, with each swing of the axe, as he was chopping that wood, it must have felt like he was holding the knife, getting ready to slay his son. Think about it. This was the very wood that would hold his son when he would be sacrificed by Abraham's hand. Man, that is trauma. That is trauma. Man, I, I assume after the whole story that God gave Abraham some PTSD counseling. <laughs> he needed it after that. That's traumatic. And it's especially hard given a great deal of time to think to still make the right sacrificial choices and obey. No, no, I'm not talking about Abraham. I am, but I'm talking about you now. Let me say it again. It's especially hard, given a great deal of time to think, to still make the right sacrificial choices and obey. You can keep your hand in, in Genesis where you can move to Exodus chapter four. A relative of Abraham, Moshe, Moses, we know in the story that Moses had no desire at all to go back to Egypt to face Pharaoh. He did not. It's so clear if you read the text that he was not ambitious for this. He was not desirous to go back to Egypt and to say to his, his old family member, let my people go and everything that was to come through that. He was not ambitious for it. He pleaded with God to send somebody else. 
However, when God made it clear, he made it very clear, no, I want you to go Moses. I want you to go Moses. What happens? Moses leaves Midian to go back to Egypt, where he had been for many years preparing for all this, right? And it says in Exodus 4, verse 20, it says, so Moses took his wife and his sons, set them on a donkey, and returned to the land of Egypt. Moses took the staff of God in his hand. This was after the burning bush and everything. Now, you got to stop for just a minute and again, think about this. The, the Bible is just not some theoretical text. This is also part of history. Okay, so so. Put yourself in Moses' shoes for just a minute. What Mo, Moses knew Egypt. Moses knew Egypt better than anybody. Moses knew Pharaoh better than anybody. Moses knew protocol in Pharaoh's palace better than anybody. Moses had to know in the flesh the likely results. The likely result is he was going to get back into, into Egypt, and maybe they weren't looking for him anymore, as Scripture says, but the moment he goes into Pharaoh's palace, they're saying, Moses, hey, where you been? Hey, Moses. And he's like, hey, and they're trying to give him high fives. But then he comes and, and, he, and he drops the grenade right in the middle of Pharaoh's palace. Let my people go. You got to know he's thinking about this before he even leaves Midian. And he himself, Moses, has to know the likely expected result. The likely expected result would not just be that Pharaoh kills Moses the moment he came against him. That was the likely result. The moment he came against Pharaoh. Done. But he also knew that would be the fate of his wife and sons. It says in the scripture, he took his wife and sons with him. He had to know that that was the expectation, that this was, had to be a fleshly expectation. Short of God's intervention, which surely he was counting on, but at the same time, he knows how these things work. So imagine for yourself the ride on a donkey, no less, <laughs> from Midian to Egypt. Friends, that was hundreds of miles through a desert. That was a lot of time to think, wasn't it? That was a lot of time to think and to change your mind, knowing that Moses was going into the belly of the beast. Whew. Man, that must have felt like Moses actually walking into hell. He didn't want to go. And so there it was on this, this donkey ride with him, his family. Golly, all that time to think. What's going to happen? The journey to get there probably 
in the flesh and the natural would take much longer than his appearance in Egypt once he says what he's saying, let my people go. That's, what, that's what's likely to happen. Wow, you, you got to think that the adversary came against him. Did the Lord really say that? Hold on, are you sure it just wasn't the lasagna? <laughs> the bush really didn't burn? Oh, come on. Did that really happen? You know, you're going donkey. It's not like you're taking a, a bullet train. It's, you're not on a 747. You're on a donkey. It's, you don't have a, your, your iPhone to keep you busy. All you have is your mind to think about what's going to happen. What am I going to say? What am I going to say? What's Aaron going to say? How am I going to put this? What's going to happen? How quickly are they going to throw a spear in me? What's going to happen? Hold on, but God's with me. But God said, told me to go. But, but why would God tell me to do this? I, I mean, you, you have to, this is a long ride. Moses did not waver. You see, my friends, it's all well and good to be a hero, no, no question, at any time. But the hardest decisions in life are the ones where you have time to really think about it. Are you willing to make a sacrifice? Abraham literally was, of course. Are you? Ooh. This one, watch your shoes, here it comes. Are you willing to put that which is most precious to you on the line? Maybe it's something material. Maybe it's your, maybe it's your perspective on life and your intelligence, your opinions, how you see things, how you see things. Maybe it's, finances, your 401k, maybe it's, maybe it's even a relationship. Are you willing to put whatever, that which is most precious to you on the line? Here's the bottom line. Are you willing to be obedient to God regardless of the consequences? Hey, it's Rosh Hashanah, y'all. I'm, I'm not going to give you a, a little tiddlywinks message here. <laughs> You come, you come into this house on, on really any time, but in particular, I, in particular, high holy days, I'm going to give it to you truthfully straight. I, 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 don't, I don't like, it's not my job to play around with truth. Back to Genesis 22. Back to the story with Abraham. The wood is now split. The supplies are now in hand. His son has been prepared for their journey. And then the trip begins. The trip begins. And friends, it is not fast. They're traveling to, from Beersheba to Jerusalem. I've been from Beersheba to Jerusalem, and uh, it's much quicker today, and it's much closer than Midian and Egypt, of course, but it still takes a little time to get there, especially back then. It's a trek. Verse 4, Genesis 22, 4. 
It says, on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from a distance. Okay, wow, wow, whoa. (laughs) Stop and think about this for a minute. Day after day, Abraham had to deal with this knowledge of what was going to happen and what awaited him. His son, his only son whom he loved. I can't fathom the pain. You got to know that Abraham would have happily put himself on the altar much quicker than his son. And it would have made more sense relative to the, the promise. The pain, the conflict that was going on within his head. Beloved, how long are you willing to wait? More specifically, how long are you willing to wait while in deep, agonizing pain? Doing the will of God even while it costs you personally. Sometimes doing the will of God will will seemingly cost you personally here on this earth. I'm not trying to pretend that's not true. We know in the end, the result is always good if we're following the Lord and are obedient to the Lord. But here on this earth, there are troubles, there are trials, there are tribulations, there are testings. These day after day after day, my gosh, in his mind, thinking, I, it, doesn't, it doesn't reflect and, and reveal to us everything that was in his mind, although it tells us a little bit. But you have to think the agony of just walking beside his son. There's another story of a son in a different context that, that the father and the son were there, but the son was not doing right and he was not good and he said dad give me my inheritance early give me my inheritance now before you're dead luke chapter 15 why don't you turn there luke 15 and and in this story the son's father the father was surely devastated but he knew that there was nothing that he could do there's nothing i can do And as the story goes, the son ran out and lived life for himself. He spent money on bad stuff. He went to the Vegas Strip and uh, did some naughty stuff. Okay, naughty. He, He lived life for himself. And then what did he do? He soon ran out of money. He spent all his inheritance. And said, you know what? What's what's this? Oh, beloved. <laughs> Don't get to a point where you have to hit bottom to understand what's really important. I I am, am implore you, my brother, sister. Don't get to the point where you have to reach bottom to see the truth. 
that's what this son did. He reached bottom. He was trying to eat slop with the pigs. That's especially not good for a Jewish guy, right? (laughs) And he decided, you know what? I'm going to go crawling back to my dad. Crawling back to him. Even though I'm not even worthy to be called his son, I'm going to go back to him. See, you have to imagine on the other side of the equation, the father had agonized over his son, right? I mean, that just makes sense. You see the father's reaction. You know the story. You know how much he must have agonized over his son. And the implication is that it was for years, year after year after year after year after year, agonizing over your son who's doing this stuff that you know is not going to fulfill him. It's vacuous. Would you remain faithful? We can tell because of the father's reaction how he handled that time in the middle. Luke 15, verse 20. And so he being the son, he got up and went to his own father. But while he, the son, was still far away, his father saw him and felt compassion. He ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Then the son said to his father, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your presence. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quick, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's celebrate with a feast. For the son of mine was dead and has come back to life. He was lost and is found. And then they began to celebrate. Wow, amen, huh? Oh, man, it's how our Heavenly Father feels about us. Friends, the Father did not grow bitter or angry. He waited. He waited. And then the Father said what he said. It was, mm, this detail is so interesting and, and the parallels here. The father said it was like life from the dead. It's like his son was dead, but was raised up. That's what it says in the text. Wow. And this reminds me something else. This reminds me of something else about the story of Abraham and Isaac, back to Genesis 22, which builds to this moment when Abraham took the knife in his hand. Here he is. Isaac's now on the the altar. Abraham takes the knife. Verse 11, but the angel of Adonai called to him from heaven, called to Abraham and said, Abraham, Abraham. He said, Hineni. Then the angel said, do not reach out your hand against the young man. Do nothing to him at all. For now I know that you are one who fears God. You did not withhold your son, your only son from me. Woo. What a moment, what a, what a moment of relief that was. But here's an interesting part of the story that, 
begins to connect these things in a totally cool way that I, I know I hadn't completely seen. Hebrews chapter 11, if you want to turn to it as a preview, because, because in Hebrews 11, we get additional insight on this moment. And we get specifically additional insight as to the mindset of Abraham and how he considered this moment and what his hope and faith, his expectation, his hope and faith and expectation was regarding even this moment. It's a pretty profound thing to, to, to get an insight into Avraham, Avinu. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17, it says, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. Yes, he who had received the promises was offering up his one and only son, the one about whom it was said through Isaac offspring shall be named for you. And he being Abraham, Abraham reasoned that God was able to raise him up even from the dead. And in a sense, he did receive him back from there. How interesting it is. Do you see the parallel with the, with the prodigal son and, and the father who said, my son was dead and now is alive again. He was dead, but now he's raised up. And it says here that Abraham felt like even if he was slain, that God would raise him from the dead. And then it says in Hebrews, and really, and in a sense, that's exactly what happened is he was raised up from the dead. He came back from the dead. Remember this. So interesting. Abraham traveled with his son from Beersheba to Jerusalem. And I want to pause for a minute and share with you another remarkable parallel from the story. Because the moment, the moment that God told Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, the moment that God told him to sacrifice Isaac, Abraham knew that Isaac was dead. He was dead already in Abraham's mind, much in the way that the prodigal son was, was dead. Hebrews tells us that Abraham figured that God could raise him from the dead, and in a sense, he did receive him back from the dead. So from the moment he was dead, the announcement from God, until the moment he was raised up from the dead, three days and three nights. And on that exact same mountain, 2,000 years later, as Abraham prophesied in verse 8, God himself provided a lamb for a burnt offering in Yeshua the Messiah. And three days later, he rose from the dead. Same mountain. John chapter 20. Friends, it's Rosh Hashanah. It's time to take stock. It's time to evaluate your walk with the Lord. 
It's time to decide what the next year is going to be like. Are we all, and so many wonderful people here, many, 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 many hundreds here, and over a thousand watching online right now, are we going to gather here again in a year without any meaningful change in your life or not? That's a question, and it's not really rhetorical. I want for you to actually think about an answer. Are we going to gather again a year from now, because you'll come back on Rosh Hashanah, you'll watch again on Rosh Hashanah, are we going to come back again a year from now with no meaningful change in your life? Without intentionality, there's probably not going to be any meaningful change, unless it just happens to you. Beloved, don't grow tired. Don't grow tired. Stay faithful. No matter what the world wants for you to stay, no matter what the world wants for you to say or think, no matter what it costs, no matter how long the answer is delayed, stay obedient. Stay obedient. Stay faithful, even when it causes great difficulty like the father of the prodigal, like Moses, like Abraham. It's not those instant decisions that are heroic. They are heroic. But the ones where you have a lot of time to think about it, wow, that's a whole nother level. No matter how long it is, Stay faithful even until Yeshua returns. John chapter 20, verse 29 says this. Yeshua said to him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are the ones who have not seen and yet have believed. Oh, Mishvacha, that's you and me. That's you and me. That's us. So hold on. Make the necessary sacrifices. Be obedient to God no matter the cost. And not just on an impulse, but even when you have traumatic nights to really, really think about it through the trials and the testings. The title of my message is Three Days. Let's bow our heads. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> I want to ask if there's anybody here who's never said a prayer to receive Yeshua as your Messiah, if that's you, and you've never given your life to God, but you want to, if you're in here, just raise your hand and we'll have a simple prayer. If you've never given your life to God, just wave your hand at me and we'll pray together. The Lord will touch you. The Lord will change you. You'll be different as never before. Perhaps you're watching online and you've never said a prayer to receive Yeshua as your Messiah. Say this simple prayer after me. God will change you on the inside. Say, dear God, I humble myself before you. 
I ask Yeshua to come into my heart. I believe he's risen again after three days, sitting at your right hand. Please forgive me my sins, God, I'm sorry. I'm this Rosh Hashanah. I'm gonna live the rest of my days for you. Thank you, Lord, thank you. I don't promise you it's gonna be easy, just like I don't promise all of you it's gonna be easy all the time. There are gonna be some hard times, challenging seasons. But if you stay faithful to God, in the end, it will all be okay. Whether here on this earth or up in heaven. Thank you, God. I pray for each and every person who's here on Yom Teruah, on Rosh Hashanah here. What a special blessing it is to be in your house. Wow. To be with Mishpacha. To seek the higher power that is you. To recognize and to humble ourselves knowing that we don't know it all. Lord, teach us. We seek you. If you exist, that we should find you and pursue you with all of our hearts. I thank you, God, for our wonderful Mishpacha and for the so many people who came here today. What a blessing. We love you with all that is within us. And we ask these things, B'Shem Yeshua, Amen and Amen. In the name of Messiah Yeshua, Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message from Rabbi Kevin. Please like, subscribe, and share this link with a friend. We would be grateful to receive your tax-deductible gift to further the good news of Messiah Yeshua. To make a contribution, please click on the PayPal link in the description. Also, to view our regular services, click the link in the description for our YouTube channel. If you would like more information about Yeshua the Messiah, or how you can become part of our Bethlehem family, please visit our website at www.bethhalel.org. That's B-E-T-H-H-A-L-L-E-L.org. Or call 770-641-3000. If you are in the metro Atlanta area, please visit us for an Arab Shabbat service, Friday nights at 8 o'clock, or Shabbat services Saturday mornings at 11. God bless and shalom. Nine, 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 nine.